Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. I'm starting today with an announcement. Next week starts the summer podcast series. I have something special planned for the months of June, July, and August. So that will take us through episodes 21 to 32 or so. And I have to tell you, my nerves are activated. I am scared. I am feeling nervous. This is going to take me out of my comfort zone and my brain is working full time to come up with all kinds of reasons why I shouldn't do what I have planned for the summer. So I'm giving you this little teaser as a way to commit myself and promise so that I don't let my brain talk myself out of it and tune in next week and I'll give you a better introduction and explanation of what will be happening on Power Principles this summer. Today's episode, as promised, is the nuts and bolts, the how of managing screen time this summer without limiting screen time. Welcome to episode 20, Screen Time, Set It and Forget It. After episode 19, you know I'm not a fan of setting limits. However, I am all in favor of establishing boundaries. You might say that limits and boundaries are the same, but they are different, and today we're going to talk about why. Back in the day when I was awake at 11 p.m. feeding babies, there was a late night infomercial for a rotisserie oven, and the seller slogan was, set it and forget it. Preparing savory, juicy roasted lamb, chicken, or beef was as simple as jabbing the metal prongs through the heart of the roast and clicking the button. Then you were free for hours to go watch soap operas or more infomercials. This is how I feel about screen time. I want to set it and forget it. Not necessarily so I can free up more hours to watch promos for the new and improved Sham Wowie. I have a bucket list of things I want to do this summer. None of them includes watching B-list hosts pimp the thigh master, slap chop, or tidy bear. But I wouldn't mind a little extra hammock time to work my way through the neglected pile of books on my nightstand. So when it comes to policing screen time, how can I set it and forget it? How can I buy myself a little more hammock time this summer? I am going to jump right in here at the beginning and say that limiting screen time does work and is better than doing nothing. Studies have shown that homes where screen time is limited or regulated do have less screen time than homes where screens are a free-for-all. So setting limits is better than doing nothing. If you set limits, good for you. Good job. Way to parent. Honestly, for years I've been trying to limit screen time. And in a spirit of full disclosure, it's actually what I've been doing most of this past school year. You know, as well as I do, what this looks like. You get that stirring in your mothering intuition that homework isn't being done. So you go downstairs, you go to the bedrooms, and you catch the kids on their screens, and you begin asking if their chores are done, if they've read a book, if they've made their bed, blah, 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 blah. Have they practiced their instrument? Do they even want to grow up to be a productive adult, or are they going to waste their whole life sliding their measly thumbs across that 4 by 6 piece of aluminosilicate glass until they end up living in a van down by the river? By now, my kids are so tired of this speech that they barely look up long enough to roll their eyes before going back to their thumb swiping. Can you see how the limit mindset sets up a summer of, 
Ah! That's the sound of me banging my head in frustration and fighting against my kids all summer long about those darn screens. This is why it's called a mindset. It sets up our life. And I don't want to be set up for ah! I want a summer of ah. So here's my question. Isn't there a better, more effective way to limit screen time without having to limit screen time? Today, we're going to explore the downsides of setting limits and why the limit mindset sets us up for frustration and failure. We're going to talk about what mindset is far more effective than setting limits and see if we can't save energy, frustration, and come up with a little extra hammock time in the process. Let's start by talking about the difference between a limit and a boundary. Aren't they the same thing? There are two definitions of the word limit and which definition I use in regards to screen time has major impact on my sanity. I've used both and I like the second much better. The first definition of limit is a verb. To limit is to restrict or to confine. The problem with this is limits don't set themselves. This means that a person must take action. Setting limits requires effort, decision-making, and enforcing limits takes even more work. And guess which person in the family summer yearbook was voted most likely to have to set screen time limits? Yes, it's the mom. Congratulations, mom. You decide the limits, you police the limits, and to enforce the limits, you have to be actively involved in either rewarding or punishing screen behavior. You just got several full-time summer jobs as the screen limit lawmaker, policy enforcer, public attorney, judge, and if the screen infraction merits capital punishment, you also just got hired as the executioner. Hope you like scouring guillotines. And after all that, how's your relationship with your precious little delinquents? I'm already exhausted thinking about playing bad cop all summer. Isn't there a way I can have fun with my children without going all free parent laissez-faire and letting them screen without caution round the clock? Let's look at the second definition of a limit, which is a noun, meaning a physical boundary. What I like about the noun version is that it's a noun. It exists. I don't have to constantly be verbing it. Nouns save me a lot of work. Now, I'm not opposed to good hard work, but extra, needless, unproductive work, yeah, that's just sweat and motion without progress. So here's a hint, a big hint. When it comes to summer screen time, are you nouning or verbing? Let's take a look. If you verb or set a limit, you are losing the game before you even begin to play. There are two innate problems that come with verbing limitations on screen time. Setting a limit says, there is more to be had, but you can't have it because I said so. For example, you see your child lugging a gallon-sized tub of ice cream out of the freezer with a large serving spoon, and you say, one scoop of ice cream. Of course, there are more scoops of ice cream to be had in the container, but you set a limit. Last week, we talked about how limiting creates want. 
Remember the saying, forbidden fruit is the tastiest? The problem with this is that limit triggers a deep-seated fear, a long-held false belief established in the human brain dating way back to our caveman days. Our primitive brain has a default mode of believing there is a lack and limitation of resources. We all do this. We don't have enough. Enough what? We don't have enough of anything. We don't have enough time, enough money, enough love, enough appreciation, or enough cute outfits. This lack and limitation default is how our ancestors survived frost, famine, ferocious animals. Their brains were wired for survival mode, which meant they had to get as much of what they could of any limited commodity in order to survive. This is why you can trap a monkey by putting peanuts in a bucket with a hole just large enough for an empty monkey hand to slide through, but not big enough for a monkey hand full of peanuts to go back through. And that monkey, even though it's trapped, will not let go of those peanuts. So as a parent, when we use words and actions that convey messages of limitation, we are actually triggering our children's cave boy or cave girl brains. They're going to go all monkey on us and hold on to those peanuts no matter what, even if it means getting trapped. The second problem with setting limits, and think back to the ice cream example, which is to say there is more to be had and you can't have it because I say so. The second problem is the I say so. It makes me the enemy. Suddenly I become Caveman Jr.'s arch nemesis. I am his frost, famine, and ferocious animal. Suddenly we aren't on the same cave team. I have made myself his mortal enemy. So the problems with setting limits are one, it triggers the primitive instinct brain. This is why kids grunt and can't form coherent sentences. And two, it creates work for myself as enforcer, the enemy. And that's not great for family relations. But if I can't set limits on screen time, then what can I do to keep screens from overtaking my entire family life? Let's look at the noun definition of limit, which really means a boundary. Unlike the verb to limit, which connotes that someone must be constantly engaged in the work of limiting, in the work of setting and enforcing the limits, the noun boundary means something that has been built and created. Once a boundary has been established, then the boundary itself will, for the most part, do the work. Let's talk about boundaries of time and space and look at some examples. My older brother is an expert gardener, and wherever he has moved in his life, he has become known for his superb flower beds. I remember him teaching me that the secret to a beautiful flower garden is not in the flowers or the fertilizer, but is in the border. Something about the flowers being contained makes their color, shapes, and design show more brilliantly. If you put two identical flower beds next to each other with the exact number and type of flowers in the same size of space, but one bed had a border and one bed was borderless, which one would look bigger? The one with the border actually looks larger and more full of flowers. The border accentuates and magnifies the flower's beauty. Flowers seem more abundant within a boundary. The same is true for picture frames, right? You add a well-designed frame and a kindergarten stick figure family becomes a masterpiece. Another example is the old adage that fences make good neighbors. 
A fence clarifies expectations, provides safety, distinguishes ownership, fosters independence, and provides structure. Think about if you loved landscaping and you lived on five acres of unlandscaped property, how overwhelming would it be? It might be so overwhelming you would never get started, or you might feel there's so much landscaping to be done that you couldn't allow yourself to do anything else. For children, unfenced screen time can feel like five acres of unlandscaped earth. It actually can feel quite overwhelming and can create the impression that there's so much screening that could be done that you can't do anything else. Framing fuels growth and creativity. Tomatoes and other plants in the garden grow better if they have a frame, a guide, a trellis to hold on to. And the great creator of the universe, God, created the earth within a framework of seven days. We might think, if God is so magnificent, then why didn't he take a hundred days to create the earth? Or why isn't he continuing to create the earth? Why would God encapsulate his creative process into a period of time? Because boundaries are empowering. Boundaries are a power principle. Boundaries aren't limiting. They actually create abundance. Boundaries form, frame, and foster creativity. So how can boundaries help with summer screen time? I'm going to talk about three distinctive type of boundaries and how applying these boundaries to family screen time this summer will actually help you spend less time thinking about, talking about, arguing about, and interacting with screens. A set it and forget it principle. These three types of boundaries are one, the boundary of decision-making, two, a boundary of time, and three, a boundary of space. Number one, the boundary of making decisions. There is power and energy that comes into our life when we make decisions. Think about why do we tend to default to using our screens so easily and so often? Well, for one, it's easy. It doesn't require making a decision. It's right there. It doesn't require any effort. Our caveman brain defaults naturally to conserve energy, to exert the least amount of effort. So I know that when those hot summer days arrive, I often feel lethargic and lazy. Maybe I've eaten one too many bowls of ice cream. In any case, 2 o'clock p.m. on a summer afternoon, I am in no condition to make a motivated decision. I guarantee at that time I will default to whatever requires the least amount of energy and brain power. Same thing with summer mornings when no one has to be to seminary or rehearsal or school at a certain time. When my bed is cozy, that is not the time to be making a decision about what I really want. Because in that moment, what I really want is some more one-on-one -on -one time with my pillow. Most often, the best time to make decisions is before they have to be made. It is powerful to understand that proactive decision-making establishes healthy boundaries in our life. And making decisions actually gives us energy. I want to access the energy of pre-made decisions. This is why last Sunday we had a family summer planning meeting. 
I did consider secretly recording the planning meeting and playing excerpts of it for you, but I promise it's going to sound a lot more impressive and a lot more professional if I just summarize it and happen to leave out the snarky comments and complaints. So we knew that last Sunday was going to be the day, but we didn't have a specific time. It turned out that we were all eating Sunday dinner at the same time. Now I use this term Sunday dinner very loosely. Sunday evening is everybody just grabs whatever bowl of cereal they want, whatever leftover is in the fridge. We all happen to have done that and we're sitting around the table at the same time. So we just dove in. We started with a little New Testament discussion and then I transitioned to posing questions about what everyone visualized for their summer. What places did they want to visit? What activities did they want to do? I had asked my kids the week before to think about four areas, four specific areas, something that they wanted to practice every day to improve on, something new that they wanted to learn, something physical they wanted to do to stay active, and what books they wanted on their book list. During this meeting, I said to my kids very honestly, I do not want to be the screen police for this summer. What ideas do you have that can help us so that I'm not responsible for screen time and managing practicing time? And so we had a family discussion, yes, full of plenty of sarcastic remarks, but eventually we did together agree on creating what are essentially summer boundaries for our space and time. So this takes us to principles two and three. Number two, the boundary of time. Think about boundaries of time. God created the earth in seven days. Anyone who creates art knows you need a time frame, you need a deadline, or it will never be finished. A task expands to fit the amount of time that you have for it. I am most effective when I set a timer and give myself a time frame. So together we decided that one o'clock to four o'clock every afternoon would be screen time. This is during the heat of the day, it's three hours, and my kids were actually kind of blown away that I was proposing three hours of screen time. Three solid hours on screens? That's a lot. And I'll be honest, as a mother, my instinct when I hear three hours of screen time is, that's too much, I've gotta limit that, we've gotta do less of that but stay with me. And I made a big deal out of using words that expressed the abundance of that screen time. I said things like, you have three hours, you can do anything that you want on screens. I won't interrupt you. I won't ask you to do any chores. That time one to four o'clock is to do anything that you want on screens if you want to. Can you see, can you already feel the shift? As a family, we're not approaching our summer feeling limited in our screen time in the least. Have you ever noticed that if you offer something, like if you offer a little candy to somebody and then you pull it away from them, they instinctively reach out for it. They instinctively want to grab it. Even if it's one of those gross taffy things that you always catch in the summer parades. But if you ever try to hand something to someone and you're kind of forceful, like you want them to take it, they resist, they pull back. Same thing with screen time. If I pull it away from my children, they are going to instinctively move towards it, want more, jump on it. However, if I hand it to them, if I offer it to them, not force it on them, but offer it to them, they're actually going to have space to examine it and go, hmm, it's a taffy from a parade. Do I really want it? 
Psychology is awesome. And then on top of that, just to pile on the abundance even more, I said, also, you can have any screen time that you want between the hours of 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. Because you know what? I'm okay with that. If any of my children want to wake up at 6 o'clock a.m., even if it is to play Minecraft, that's fine with me. It will make adjusting to waking up during the school year a whole lot easier. So as a family, we built a fence. We created a border around our flower bed of Mario Kart, Minecraft, YouTube, and Doctor Who reruns. And within that border, screen time feels abundant. It doesn't feel limited in the least. And I'll finish off this principle of boundary of time by saying that as a family, we did specify, we really clarified some spaces of time where screens would not spread into at all. So we are having screen blackouts two times during the day. Screen blackouts from nine to noon. Nine to noon, this morning time is designated for the kids to do what they want for the summer. This is their time to do what they decided about their practicing, the new thing that they want to learn, their physical activity, their book list, etc. Nine to noon, screen blackouts. And the second blackout time is after dinner. We did this on purpose. I did this on purpose for a couple of reasons. I don't love my kids staying awake late at night with their eyes on their screens. It's bad for sleep. And I don't love, it seems that the ages that my kids are at, that during the school year after dinner, everyone kind of disappeared to their own corners of the house to be on their screens alone. And summer evenings are the best. The weather is beautiful. It feels good to be outside. It's a perfect time for walks, for bike rides, to visit with neighbors, for neighborhood kids to spontaneously put together an evening of night games. So I think that screen blackout after dinner will help us naturally do more things as a family. Now, the exception to the screen rule is if we decide as a family that we want to do something family screen time. If we want to watch an evening movie together or we want to have a Smash Bros tournament, that's okay. We can essentially veto the evening screen blackout as long as we all agree on it together as a family. This brings us to the third principle, boundaries of space. This is pretty self-explanatory. This relates to actual physical locations as well as scenes or settings. So for example, we have two screen-free zones in our house, the dinner table and each individual bedroom. Now screen-free bedrooms are new for us. We've kind of tried to do it before but haven't really been consistent. Kids end up using their devices as their alarm clocks and mostly it's me. I go to bed with my phone and I've wanted for a long time to just get the phone out of my room. And I have to say, I've tried to do it a couple of times. So this summer I am really committed to putting my phone away that it doesn't come into my bedroom at all at night. So screen-free zones around the dinner table and in our bedrooms. And then screen-free settings. This means if we have a family gathering, if grandma and grandpa come over, if some cousins come over, screen-free. This is a time that you show up where the family is and you're there to visit and talk and interact and not be looking down at the screen. The exception, of course, for this is if the cousins decide and they make a deliberate decision that they want to do a screen activity together. But that's the exception. The guideline is screen-free around family gatherings. 
Now within each of these three boundaries, the boundaries of decision-making, the boundaries of time, the boundaries of space, there are sub-boundaries, guidelines, rules. Think of it as kind of a trellis, a guide for the family to grow. One of these is that all of these boundaries are family decided and that they apply to everybody. This is why the screen-free bedroom applies to me as well. And I'm excited to have this family rule because I know that my kids, I know that my kids will help keep me in line. And also I noticed that there is a lot of times that my kids talk to me and I continue answering my text or working on the computer or watching the Facebook video. And I want to be more conscientious of this. I want to, when they talk to me, make sure that I put down my phone, that I look away from my screen and that I connect and interact and engage with them. So I am excited for these boundaries that will apply to me as they apply to everyone. It really feels like a family effort. And I like that feeling of family togetherness, family effort, and family accountability. So another sub-boundary or kind of a trellis, a framework, is our four-finished. We're calling them our four-finished, our practice our learning something new, our physical, and our reading list. So this is what the kids get to do and what I get to do. I've decided these, these things as well. That from 9 to noon every day, that is their time to do what they want in these four areas. And we won't interrupt each other. I won't interrupt them and ask them to do chores. I won't ask them to go do the weeding or anything. That is their time to work on their fabulous four. And we all have the understanding, I'm not going to say it's a hard and fast rule, that the four are finished before any screen time happens. So that one to four o'clock, three hours of uninterrupted, unlimited screen time is conditional on the finishing of the fabulous four. We didn't spend a lot of time harping about this or underscoring it because it is something that we've been trained on already. I've been training on this for a long time. All of my kids have this understanding that practicing and homework and things are done first before screen time. This does not mean that we're perfect at it, not by any stretch of the imagination. There are a lot of brush up reminders that I give, but for the most part, we've been trained on it. We've worked on it for a while. We have this understanding that the essentials are done before the screens come on. The next trellis or guideline is realistic expectations. Everything that we came up with has to be for us, the Warners, doable and not too rigorous. And we aren't going to beat ourselves up if we get off track. I'm kind of thinking like an 80-20 rule, maybe even a 70-30 rule, that if we can get this right 70% of the time, we're, we're going to be doing really good. This is not life or death. I can pretty much guarantee that we'll come home from the family reunion and not feel like doing anything but binge watching Netflix for two days. Or if we get back from the week-long camping trip, I will collapse in front of the television for hours. I'm okay with that. After all, I do live in American Fork. Our mascot is the caveman, so I have room for a few caveman binge days in my summer. I just don't want August 20th to arrive and regret letting screens dominate my entire summer for me. Because it's summer and summer is spontaneous and summer is flexible, we will get off track. But the great thing about boundaries is that you know exactly where to go back to. The decisions are made. The lines are there. You don't have to make the decision about how to get back on track. You're just bam, right back there. And the final trellis or guideline is the fertilizer that I use. 
I use plenty of positive words and actions surrounding summer activities and screen time. I've learned kids respond better when things are creatively labeled. We all respond better when something feels like a game or has a little bit of a colorful twist to it. For example, instead of saying, you have to read for 30 minutes every day, I say, what fascinating fiction are you going to devour this summer? What's on your fascinating fiction list? Also the term blackout, a screen blackout. It seems more like an event, like an adventure, like a power outage or a family challenge to have a screen blackout rather than no screen, no screen, you can't screen, you shouldn't screen. Instead of practicing the piano or practicing your oboe, I try to say music time. Oh, how was your music time today? Or even how did it go playing the violin today? Even if I just try to say playing more than practicing, even though we all know it's practice in our summer meeting, we called it practice. It was an area of practice because we had a little lesson about the power of practice. That's okay. We know it's practice, but if in my words, I can not always use the word practice, but use playing or even just ask, how was the Tchaikovsky today? Or what run did you work on? Just something to change up the wording differently so that it takes it away from that. You have to do it. You should do it and makes it more empowering. So what I want to do right now is give you an example of what I visualize a summer day will look like for us, the Warners, not so that you can copy us. The awesome thing about power principles is that they are completely personalizable. But I do like knowing what other families do. That helps me to visualize and have an idea of how I can twist it and apply it into my own situation. You will find the best way to apply these power principles of establishing boundaries in a way that works best for your family. And remember not to try to landscape your whole family all at once. Pick one area in which you can apply the principle of creating a boundary. Focus on that flower bed for this summer and don't worry about the weeds growing everywhere else in the yard. There are plenty of other summers to get to those. So what I expect a Warner family summer of 2019 to look like, different than summer 2018, different than summer 2017. We're constantly readjusting for the ages and stages of our family. Okay, so a typical non-traveling Warner summer day. I guess at six to eight o'clock, the ambitious ones are up playing Minecraft. Eight o'clock is when everyone will be waking up, getting dressed, having breakfast, doing a daily chore, making beds. This is really the only required stuff and it's one hour. Then after that, they have time for personal development. Now, see what I did here? I didn't say that we had to have a screen free or a blackout time from 8 a.m to 1 a.m. because that seems too long. I only did it from nine to noon because eight o'clock to 9 a.m. that's the required stuff, that's the chores. I didn't have to say screens are not allowed in that time because that goes without saying. Does that make sense? So eight to nine, that's really the only required stuff. You need to be dressed, you need to have done your daily chore, you need to make your bed and make sure the room is tidy and to have helped clean up breakfast. Then nine to noon. It's all time for your personal development. I won't interrupt. I won't ask you to do your chore as long as you already did it during that morning time. I like this also because it makes it seem like practicing and reading is not a chore because I have them do a chore already. Then the instrument playing and the reading feels like 
developmental time. I give them ownership over that unlandscaped, fertile piece of time. They get to choose what to plant in the fertile soil of 9 a.m. to noon. So noon, it's lunch and clean up the dishes. This summer, I'm setting a time for lunch because in summers past, we would straggle and not eat until two o'clock in the afternoon, and then we'd end up with a messy kitchen all afternoon, and then nobody would be hungry to have dinner with dad at 5.30. So this summer, I am specifying everyone needs to eat at eight o'clock, and if you don't eat at eight o'clock, then you don't eat until lunch. And then noontime is lunchtime. And if you don't eat at noon, then you're not going to eat until dinner because I want the kitchen to be cleaned up and not have food out all day long in the summer. So lunchtime and clean up the dishes. Then one to four o'clock, the heat of the day, that is all screen time, all that they want. And I have to say this past week, the kids got out of school kind of Wednesday, kind of Thursday, and we've had a couple of days of summer and we were softly starting this schedule. They didn't watch screens in the afternoon. They were outside on their scooters. What else were they doing? Oh, they went out to the field. They actually took the lawnmower and they mowed down the tall grass of the field. And they've been working on building a teeter-totter back there. So I'm kind of interested how this is going to go because they know they can do screens all that they want. And then the past couple of afternoons, they haven't even wanted to. So anyway, kind of interesting. So screens from one to four o'clock, then dinner time. And dinner, this is a new thing that we're doing this summer. In our family meeting, I had two requests. One, I did not want to be the screen police all summer. And two, I did not want to make dinner every night all summer. So we divvied it up and there's one child in charge of dinner each night and I will be their sous chef. I will be their assistant, but it's up to them to plan the menu, make sure that the shopping list has on it what they need for their dinner. And then starting at 4.30 or so, I will help them to cook. And this is helping me as a mother accomplish my duty of helping my children learn how to cook because I haven't really done that so much. And we are calling this the cooking show, the Warner cooking show. And come 4.30, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be me and someone else in the kitchen. And if other kids want to come in and help learn that recipe, they can. And we're going to be doing our Warner cooking show. Then we're going to eat whatever interesting concoction is created during that time. And then those who weren't in charge of cooking that evening will be in charge of cleaning up. So that will be dinner time done by 630 and then screen blackout and it's summer evening fun. Whatever we decide to do as a family or if they want to go out and do night games with friends, it's it's all very flexible and spontaneous from there. So voila. A day in the life of the Warner family during the summer. To finish off with today, I'm going to answer the big burning question that I know you all have. What do I do when I find kids on screens outside of screen time? We know it will happen. So say, for example, it's nine to noon and I find one of my kids playing Minecraft or YouTube or something on their screen. So in my family, we just have this underlying knowledge that there are always a lot of chores that need to be done. There's always something around the house or around the yard that needs to be done. And that personal development time is a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to play the piano. It's a privilege to be able to read a book or to learn something for yourself or to go for a walk or a bike ride or do your own personal activity. So If I come across a child 
doing Minecraft instead of that personal development time, then I just understand that they didn't want their personal development time. And I say, oh good, you're free because I desperately need this done. I don't say anything about the screen. I just say, oh good, I'm so glad that you're free because I desperately need the thistle pulled from the field or I desperately need the garage swept, or I desperately need the peas weeded. And they just kind of know that screens don't trump chores, except during that free zone of 1 to 4 p.m. So if they're on a screen outside of that time, that's kind of their way of saying, I'm available to do chores. And I found that I don't even have to say you're breaking the screen rule. So your punishment now is that you're going to have to go do this chore or that you don't get your screen time tomorrow. Sometimes I default to that. But when I'm more on top of my mothering game, all I need to say is I really need our garbage cans sprayed out today. And then I help them get set up if they need rubber gloves or a certain kind of cleaner or a bucket. And then I let them go and I'll just keep coming back and checking in on the chore until it's done. And usually it only takes a couple of times of doing one of my desperately need to be done chores before they realize they would just much rather do 30 minutes of piano time. So one thing about these chores is that they're separate from our daily life sustaining chores. The tidying up around the house, the dishes, the dusting, the bathroom cleaning. These are not life essential chores, but on any given day, I could desperately need this chore to get done. Okay, here's a quick list. Sweep the gutter, hoe down the weeds that are growing in the road, spray out the garbage cans, pull dandelions out of the yard, dust the mop boards, vacuum the edges of the carpet, clean out the refrigerator, defrost the freezer, and my personal favorite to go to because I have a big sheet filled in the back of my house, pull thistle out of the field. How about for younger kids? When my kids were younger, I didn't like to have them do chores because they needed so much of my involvement in it. But here are some quick ideas for chores that younger kids can do that can mostly be unsupervised. Any kind of accounting task, pick up 20 toys and put them back in their home. Pick up 12 books and put them on the shelf. Can you count how many dinosaurs are in the bucket? Also, any kind of simple organizing task. Can you pair all of your shoes and line them up in the closet? Will you take the Legos and separate them by color? You can always give them a toilet brush and have them go to cleaning the toilet or give them a scrubber, clean the tub, because it doesn't matter how well it's done. Probably the water will come on. Probably there will be some splashing and a mess. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's not the chore to give them. Washing windows. Just give them a spray bottle with water not with cleaner, and let them go to town on your windows. Let's be honest, with kids, the windows are always full of fingerprints anyway, so some streakiness is not going to make a big deal. And for all you mamas out there with young kids, I want to say this. I just got back from a two-day perinatal health complications conference, and one of the biggest things emphasized was how important it is for mothers to get uninterrupted sleep and for mothers to have at least 30 to 60 minutes to themselves every day. And when you have young children, this is very challenging. You need breaks. And I know putting kids in front of screens can buy you breaks. I am not opposed to this. PBS television was one of my favorite babysitters. But if you are burned out and so energy depleted that your kids are having too much screen time, you need a supported break. 
meaning you need a break when you are 100% not responsible for your children. This means someone else is there. Dad is there. Grandma is there. You've paid a babysitter to be there. It is worth it for you to get a supported break to recharge your batteries. And I'm going to suggest that screen time isn't necessarily really recharging. As moms, we can sit down and 30 minutes will go by that we've been scrolling through Pinterest or Facebook, and we find that the time has passed, but it hasn't really rejuvenated us. So I encourage you to be deliberate in planning your time and planning a break for yourself, doing something that will recharge you. And in that way, you'll be a more effective mother. You will be more present with your children and engaged with them. In the long run, you'll be healthier and your children will be healthier too. It's all about boundaries, isn't it? Boundaries are magical. Boundaries actually create abundance in our lives. They give us more of what we really need. So I hope this episode has been enlightening to you and will help you to shift out of that lack and limitation mindset into an abundance mindset where boundaries become a framework and a support for growth and creativity. And I hope this week you'll have a lot of fun experimenting with the energy that comes from setting boundaries of decision-making, boundaries of time, and boundaries of space. This is Malia Warner. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Power Principles, the podcast. This summer, I have a goal to get 25 podcast reviews. Will you be one of my reviewers? I work hard on these scripts and podcast episodes. If anything that you have heard here has helped to empower you, has given you a little more energy in your life, will you take a minute to leave me a review? Thank you and have a fabulous week of summer.